this week on Dig Me Out. With your hosts, Jason Zia and Tim Minichi. Jay, we're back again with another episode. Thanks to our Dig Me Out Union on Patreon, you can help us make the next episode happen by joining us at patreon.com forward slash dig me out. Jay, this episode is brought to us by our steering committee and board of directors because it is a roundtable sophomore slump revisited. We're going to go back to a sophomore album. We've done it in the past. We're going to talk about why maybe it wasn't as successful as the debut record. It doesn't mean that we're talking about quality per se. The The way we're getting into this is that the record didn't sell as well or didn't have as many charting singles as the first record. You might want to use as a comparison Hootie and the Blowfish, who sold 4 billion records of their first one, cracked review, and then sold 10 copies of their follow-up record. And maybe someday we'll figure out why that right. happened. And, and this record sold, sold well. It's just the first record sold unbelievably. Right. Like astronomically well. We've done this with Freak Show by Silverchair. I think one of our guests was here for that one. We've also done Eight Arms to Hold You by Veruca Salt. Doesn't mean those weren't good records. It just means they didn't sell as well and they didn't have as many singles. So to help us get into this pick, which I will divulge in a moment we have two returning guests we reached out to our patreon community and said who would like to join us for this episode and two brave souls decided to join us decided to step up joining us for this episode you you'll know him from previous episodes such as what previous episodes did you join us for whitney i forgot I did the Tori's Wonderful Life, and I did uh, Human Radio's debut. That's right. Yeah. That's Whitney, Whitney Bueller. was just here like a week ago. That's I right. Was. I was. I yeah. I have a, a one of those sticks that they have in Men in Black, and as soon as we do the episode, I erase my memory, and I move on to the next episode. Well, they weren't memorable episodes, I guess, but that's all right. <laughs> that's not true in the slightest. The Human Radio episode, I got to say, that was a lot of fun. Not only because it was a record that we had no, absolutely no history with, but like the band actually was like kind of into it that we did the record. We got some comments from members of the band on the Facebook and. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. And iTunes too. Yep. Yep. Oh, that's great. And it's always nice when somebody from the band um, finds out about it and then validates that all these wild assumptions we're making that we're, we're not too far off base. It's a little, it's a little scary when you don't have a ton of information on some of the bands. Oh, and I was gonna, Oh hell. I think I took some shots too there. Didn't I about the lyrics or something? Oh, wow. oh we all did. Oh yeah. He, he mentions oh. it. If you want to go to our iTunes reviews, uh, I think it might be the, the singer lyricist talks about, uh, that he indeed had a lot to say. So, Oh, okay. He said he had a lot to say, not that we said a lot that no, we no, should no, yeah. have. Okay. No. He, he kind of agreed with our take, I think. Oh, cool. And then also joining us, I'm assuming from sunny San Diego, California. Am I right, Stephen? Indeed you are. Well, technically I'm in uh, uh, Fullerton, which is in Orange County. I'm going to a show tonight after we get off the phone, as a matter of fact. Nice. That's Stephen. Sunny nonetheless. 
Steven Musinski, everybody. He's been here before. He's been for here for our sophomore slump, right? Yeah, this will be my second one. That's right. A veteran of slumps. <laughs> I don't know what that means. But, but... It seems fitting. I'm not going to argue. Okay. So hopefully, uh, I just uh, messaged on, or uh, on uh, not messaged, but left a comment. Dewey Cole, we're joining, we're starting now. We're starting, we're, we're doing this. He, yeah, he got confused by the time zone thing, just like everybody else. We're doing it live. <laughs> I uh, see him on YouTube. <laughs> So we're talking about, based on the votes of our steering committee and our board of directors, I gave them the opportunity to pick both the topic for our roundtable in terms of what category are we going to do and then actual the actual episode in terms of what album we were going to talk about. They picked Sophomore Slump, which we've done before, and then they picked uh, from three records. We had, we had three options. They were Living Colors album was it not stain what am i thinking of time's up uh yep, that's the, the one is that one yeah yeah second yep. one right and then there was was there another one or was it just two was there a third option uh there was, was more it, than was it a hootie and the blowfish thing was it fairweather yes. fairweather johnson yes. by hootie and the blowfish which yes. will be in every sophomore slump and will always lose because nobody <laughs> ever wants us to do that but it's the ultimate sophomore slump record no, what we are doing is the 1999 album Blue by Third Eye Blind. That's the album that was selected. Now, of course, the reason why this is a sophomore slump is because Third Eye Blind's debut album was a massive hit. It had five singles, three of which were top ten charting singles, which were Semi-Charmed wow. Life, Jumper, and How's It Going to Be. This is one of those albums that had, as they say in the business, legs. It was released in April of 1997. It had singles until August of 1998. So a year and a half later, they were still releasing singles. That, that fifth single was Jumper, which was another one of their top ten singles. And I don't know the exact... I'd have to look at the... I think this the, went... This record? Yeah, this went six times platinum. The first one did, yeah. Yeah, or sorry, their, their debut album went six times platinum. Right. Just the United States, 3.5 million copies sold. Reached number 25 on the Billboard uh, album charts. And it also charted in Australia, Can- uh, Canada, and New Zealand. And as I said, it spawned five singles. Now, Blue, which was released two years later, two years after. So you think about it, they were touring up until, 19, uh, you know, for this record, probably well into 1998. This album comes out November of 99. So not a lot of turnaround time. This made it all the way to number 40 on the album charts, but it sold only 1.2 million in terms of album sales. So only. it only. Well, yeah, well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that would be amazing now, but. Uh, but that's like yeah. a 60% decline. Yeah. In terms, of, uh, in terms of sales. And then it also only spawned uh, one significant single, which was Never Let You Go. Now, they did release four singles for this. Anything, Never Let You Go, 10 Days Late, and Deep Inside You were all released as singles. As I mentioned, it was uh, Never Let You Go that was the only one that made a significant dent. And I remember when the video came out, too, as well. Uh, That was the only video that I recall from this record. So let me ask you, let's go around the room. Uh, Are you, I'll start with, 
how how what is your fandom with regards to Third Eye Blind? Are you a casual fan? Are you a hardcore bought bought every record and EP, uh, that sort of thing? And uh, did you buy this record when it came out? Whitney, I'll start with you. Uh, I bought it. Let's see. When did I buy it? I think I bought it when it first came out or when Never Let You Go got released. And that was like the second. See, I said like, see, I'm going to do that the whole time now that I know we're on this live stream. I, I bought that uh, in just a couple of months after it came out, I think. Um, how did I like them? I wasn't even a fan, really. I mean, right then I was just like a crazy person. I was buying all this music post-grunge and pop-punk and everything and uh i never really gave it a chance I, and i started listening to this just the last couple of weeks and i think i'm turning into a fan actually it, yeah i i don't i just it was one of those things where i was just buying music and i never really paid much attention to it outside of you know semi-charmed life and never let you go and then i got sick of those and i just let them sit on my shelf and um actually i'm, I'm pretty impressed over the last couple of weeks just really digging into them so I guess you could call me a, a non-fan uh, up until really recently. Interesting. Steven, same questions. Did you get this when it came out or did you get it later? And are you a casual fan or more of a hardcore fan? Definitely a casual fan. Growing up, <laughs> they were definitely kind of a band that, <clears throat> you know, even if you secretly kind of liked some of the singles, like they weren't the kind of band that you wanted to go tell your friends that you were yeah, I'm really into the new Third Eye Blind, uh, and that might just be very specific to my age. But in later years, it's it, it's become it's seemingly become more acceptable. I feel like this band experienced a resurgence somewhere within the last five to ten years, where it suddenly was was very okay and even kind of cool to like them. But I picked up the album somewhere in the last couple of years when you know, now that CDs are like a, a buck a pop. And I've give I gave it a couple spins and it sat on the shelf and then when I saw you guys make the post I was like all right this is reason enough to to circle back around and check this thing out. Cool, Jay, what do you like the Eye Blind at all? I don't even know. I I didn't like Semi Charmed Life. I just found that song really grating. But I love Graduate. Yeah, and I think Jumper's okay. So they they kind of got with me they got off uh, maybe to a bad first uh, impression but then when i heard graduate i was kind of unexpected how beefy and cool of a song that is and how much energy there is so i, I kind of always um it was a bit of a guilty pleasure i guess i, I still don't like semi charm life but you know there's there's some stuff on the first record that i liked and then um i remember this record a bit um when it came out and generally liked what i had heard yeah i'm actually the same I didn't really care for the band when I first heard them. And then I heard the graduate single. I think it was on a soundtrack too. I don't remember what soundtrack that would be. Maybe it was like can't hardly wait or American pie or one of those teen movies from the late nineties. But I feel like it was on one of those soundtracks. And then I was like, Oh, I dig this song. And, but I never got the albums. I just enjoyed the singles when I heard them. And that was about it. It was yeah. He was in can't hardly wait. And I remember when this single came out, "Never Let You Go" for this record, and I was like, "Hmm, that's not what I was expecting from this band." I sort of dig it because it's like kind of poppy in a way that I wasn't expecting, but it didn't make me want to like investigate at the time anything else from the from the record. So because I, I like you, I did not like semi charmed life. 
when I first heard that song. I don't know why it just rubbed me the wrong way. Mm-hmm. We had some comments over at our Patreon page, which I'd like to welcome our latest patron, Marissa, has joined us at the 1350 level. That is a, what is that, Jay? That's a board of directors level, I believe. That is steering committee. Oh, sorry, steering committee. Yes. Yeah. So she's picking a, uh, she'll be picking a 90s record in just 12 months. Excellent. We look forward to that pick, Marissa. Thanks for joining us. Start planning now, as Whitney and uh, Stephen can can tell you. Yeah. Yeah. Start going You're through the collection. Turn quite a bit on that. Yep. Yep. So some folks had some comments on this ap- episode. Roger said Third Eye Blind was a band that I totally initially wrote off, but I actually got into them from this album. While the band had undeniable radio hits, it's the B-sides of their albums that truly made me a fan. Slow Motion is the uncensored version, not the instrumental, put on some versions in some of the best storytelling in a song. With its bare bones, it's such a contrast to songs like Anything. Darwin was another favorite. While I think it's, I think their self-titled is flawless, there was no sophomore slump in my opinion. Having followed the band for two decades now, it's interesting to have watched crowds at their shows get younger. It shows the impact they truly had. Dewey Cole said, I'm very much looking forward to this one, but I don't feel as if my knowledge on the band or album would add much to the discussion. I'm curious what Steven has to say, though. LOL. (laughs) (laughs) And then Tara McCook said, in the spirit of evaluating the sophomore slumpness of the record, I listened to the first record and then this one in a marathon session. They are both fine. Blue is a major progression from the self-titled record, and they are both pleasant enough. Deep Inside of You is a great track, even though it was completely erased by how completely overplayed Never Let You Go was. So many songs on Blue are so close to good, but there's some kind of stunt or affectation that's just off-putting. The Red Summer Sun is a great example. It's a really good song, except for that weird digression in the middle. That said, this record was a strong step forward for the band, despite being overshadowed by the self-titled record. And then she went on to say, there's just something about Stephen Jenkins, both in his singing and his persona in interviews, that's like biting down on tinfoil. <laughs> and, oh that, and that comes through in the music. It seems like Jenkins wanted Third Eye Blind to mean something artistic, all in capitals, mm. in that really overdone sense, instead of being happy as a power pop band, it's, playing power pop songs like say what you will about matchbox 20 but rob thomas knows who he is and what he does jenkins was trying so hard to be a cool kid that his artsiness and affectation overshadows some really nice pleasant music i can't get past it interesting throwing some bombs there tara scathing is what that is yes and then whitney you had some comments on this episode oh my god Who knows what I wrote then? I, this is what I'll, you said. You said I suggested it. You suggested this, and yeah. you said I bought this album when it first came out, but I've listened to it more in the last two days than I had in previous twenty years. Go. So Loved, I'm repeating myself. There you go. Love the track. Never let you go so much, and still do. Although now it sounds like I've missed out on some pretty interesting music by inadvertently ignoring this. Okay. True that. So have you gone into the into the two thousands with this band? Have I gone into the 2000s? Yeah. No, I have not. Okay. Nope. I have not. I haven't either. I haven't listened to anything that they've done in the 2000s. I don't know yeah, what I'm they go- sound. I'm, I know they've put I'm, out two I'm, or three other records. Yeah, I'm thinking about going into it, though, because uh, I, I tell you what, the debut album is really, really good. I did not 
have any idea it was so good. I really like it. And the second one, like uh, one of the Marissa, no, I don't know if she said it or who said that um, this this album, the Blue album's more. Um, it's it they're they're trying harder to make some different style songs and just there's a lot of good stuff on Blue also. How's how's about this? This is this is some live internet stuff. Dewey Cole just left a comment and now I'm gonna read it. This is, this, is, <laughs> this is the internet, folks. This is the 21st century. He says, I only recently got into, re-got into Third Eye Blind thanks to your 1997 roundtable. One of your guests commented how great the debut was. Anyway, I had the CDs from the late 90s and took them back out and was blown away by both their debut and blue. I never spent much time with them back in the day and even caught them on this tour at the Toledo Zoo in the summer of 2000 with Vertical, yeah. Vertical Horizon. Go figure. Here's another comment to read if you like. <laughs> we read it. Boom. You know what? I also went to the Toledo Zoo for concerts in the uh, 90s. I saw Tragically Hip there in uh, like 1996. And, so, uh, every, so everybody here is saying they bought the record or their CDs and never played it? Is that what I'm hearing? Because, I mean, that's three of us, I think, that just said that. Yeah, you know, there were just so many CDs. You would buy 15, 20 CDs a week because that's how many albums were coming out, and you would just stick them in a box and then, you know, in the in the time capsule, and then you'd go, hey, it's 20 years later. I should check out this album finally. I guess that's how it works. Because, <laughs> you know, Best Buy was doing those ridiculous sales where they would sell new releases for five ninety nine or whatever, eight ninety nine when they were trying to move their refrigerators. <laughs> anyway, let's get into the record. Let's talk about what we liked and what we didn't like about this record. Let's start with what we liked. Steven, tell me one thing you liked about this record. When I think about Third Eye Blind, it's hard to think about them as like a, a band that kind of has some guitar that can kick ass. Because we think about Semi, Semi-Charmed Life and Jumper and How's It Gonna Be. I mean, Graduate is obviously the exception to that, but I don't think it was in that upper echelon of singles. In my memory, I, did, I actually didn't remember um, Never Let You Go being off of this album. I kind of thought it was lumped in there with uh, the debut with those legs that you were talking about. So that was a pleasant surprise. Uh, but yeah, I, I think just some of the... When, when the distortion gets clicked on and the guitar can be kind of at the focus and can be a little beefier and, and up front, I enjoy those moments quite a bit from this band. Because um, yeah, like I said, I just that's that's not how I think of them when I, when I think of them based on what they were known for. Yeah, I agree. Like a, a song like A Thousand Julys has that like big guitar sound that reminded me of the first record in ways that one and wounded i think is another one that has like like the second half of that song where it, they reminded me of tracks from the first record I mean, even the opener, short as it is. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's what I would say. Okay. Whitney, something that worked for you on this record? 
Yeah, so really good guitar work. I just think the guy, I don't remember his name, Kat- Kerrigan or Cadigan, that's it. Kevin Cadigan uh, or, yeah, something like that. Cadigan or Cadigan, yeah. Who got fired really, after this album. Okay. Uh, really, really um, cool little guitar parts he puts in. Lots of different sounds, you know, lots of wailing guitars and sireny sounding and strumming and just really good guitar. There's some pretty decent drumming on here, decent, like I, I can't play drums, but I mean, to me, they just sound kind of special. Uh, and, uh, you know, they're just, there's some sharp musicianship and a lot of product, solid production. Um, lyrically, I'm not crazy about that, but that's not where we're going right now. Just the good stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Um, good stuff. I, I made a mistake to, uh, to consider them kind of a singles band after I listened to these records quite a bit now. And yeah, I'm, I'm pretty impressed. Jay, what did you like about uh, your listen of Blue? Um, I agree with all the points made there. I think uh, I have a better appreciation for just uh, from a melody standpoint, um, how strong the vocals are. I don't know that he's a really strong singer or, you know, has a lot of maybe range, but it does have a really good sense of melody and knows how to, uh, you know, take what would be at times maybe a little generic musically um, and put something over top of it that, really elevates it. Um, I think a lot of the verses in particular are very strong. There's there's a couple of good hooky choruses. I agree on the musicianship. There's a some guitar work on this. There's some just overall dynamics. I think that was one of the things that really pulled me in initially on this band with the track Graduate, where they just they get um, how to create tension and, you know, from a drum and guitar standpoint, uh, you know, how to do things that really, you know, create drama and can elevate and just you know, take an ordinary pop song or pop rock song and and bring some um, just some great dynamics to it. So I always appreciate that. So overall, you know, I think as a pop alternative pop rock band, you know, there's a lot of generic bands at this time, you know, the late Mm -hmm. 90s. uh, They managed to kind of have their own thing. You know, Uh, I think for the most part, when it works well, they sound unique. You know, it's them. They don't sound like anybody else. They kind of find this little niche uh, between the alternative rock um and the musicianship and just the sense of melody that uh i think is is fairly fairly ownable you know so kudos on that that's not easy to do um especially at at this time so and uh you know i guess just a broad comment on this record it, it it gets fairly experimental you know you can definitely tell they're trying to do some stuff that's outside you know the, the rock radio format which they had become pretty well known for at that point you know so the second half of this record really tries some different things and pushes production and instrumentation and different styles of music and um i do give them credit for trying you know to to, to push things and grow and you know try to see where this band could go that's a great point i was going to bring that up because we often talk about album tracks in a negative light like they're basically songs that didn't cut it as a single and they're just lesser than they took advantage of the album track on this record. And I don't know if that's just Stephen Jenkins or if that's the band as a whole. I know Kevin Cottigan or however you say his name, you know, he's got a lot of co-songwriting credits, I think. And a lot of them are in the second half of the record. They took advantage of it. Like there's some really interesting production choices, uh, even on songs that I don't love, like Farther is a good example. Nothing much matters to me, so I don't see why. I should have so tired, please remind me that I can't be 
I don't love that song, but the production on it is really interesting and cool. Uh, it sounds like they're using, like for the guitars, there's this staccato-ness to the guitar on that record, but it sounds like it's a production trick and not the way that the guitar is being played. Like it sounds like they're dropping the volume out and in to bring the, you know, to, to cause that effect. It's really cool and interesting. Red Summer Sun has some really cool production on it. I, I do agree with Tara. I don't love the middle section of that. There's like a, a double time pro- progression that goes on and some screaming that I don't really care for. But the rest of the song is produced really almost in a dreamy kind of way that's really neat. And um, I think they really did a good job of taking advantage of the songs that, okay, this isn't going to be a single, but still we're going to do something really interesting and cool with it. And even the 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 most blatant single, Never Let You Go, it's so simple, but it has some really cool production parts to it. There's a little keyboard part that mimics the guitar riff that's very subtle and it's just like uh, pitched to one side. Um, it sounds like it's like an electric keyboard or like a like electric piano or something like that but it's very subtle but just helps accentuate the melody that is in that song and i really dug that and a lot of the other little touches whether they're you know keyboard things or a little extra percussion here and there or a little extra like some strings i heard in some some parts that were interesting so i i really dug just listening to it as an album through so that I didn't stay bored. I didn't get bored. I'd stayed interesting from song to song in a way that I was really not expecting based on this song or this band being such a singles driven band on the first record. Yeah. You know, you bring up a good point about never let you go. So it's got those falsetto vocals on the chorus, right? Mm -hmm. There's really good separation in the instruments and the guitar is, you know, it's got that siren sounding guitar, you know, at the, during the chorus. And then there's a part in it that they throw, and it sounds like the guy's playing guitar with a, you know, through he's like mic'd a little tiny smoky amp or something. It's just totally distorted and lo-fi. There's just all these little tricks in that song that, you know, it's just not a generic single to me. It's got a lot of stuff in it that that you can listen to over and over again. Yep, I, I, yeah, the production of that song, especially for a single, it's clearly a single. It's got such a hooky melody and stuff like that. They they do enough cool stuff that you can listen to it with headphones on and find some really tasty nuggets within that song. And you can do that with most of the songs on here. There's usually something going on as far as the falsetto. I don't remember. I didn't revisit the first record. Does he do a lot of falsetto on the first record? Cause there's a lot of falsetto on this album. Does anyone remember? I thought so. I mean, it didn't stand out as being unusual on this. I, maybe there's more and more extended use of it, but I do remember on the first record, he would do like call response kind of things and like sprinkle it in here and there. Yeah, that sounds about right to me. I, I, I spun it once or twice um, to prepare for this. And, and yeah, I think that's kind of always been his thing, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. I did notice I, di- I liked it better. I thought his vocal sounded more pleasing to my ears when it was doubled. Like on a mm. song like Wounded. It gave it more depth and on certain songs where it's not doubled especially on a song was it slow motion uh where it's just like i think that's is that the one with the just a piano where it's like real sparse um that has that has no vocal in it all uh well there's depends 
depends on which one you listen to. Yeah, that's so funny. There's there's three different versions of that song. The initial release of the album had um, a version of it that only had the chorus uh, vocally. And then later versions, they just o- omitted that and went straight instrumental. Huh. And then on a Greatest Hits, they released the original intended version, which um, I read that the lyrics to the song, the label thought that, that um, the lyrics might be a little too sensitive given the Columbine shooting um, that happened around this time. Mm. Yes. Yeah, so I have the... Uh actually have the censored instrumental version so i guess that's what they're calling it it's on the original like release and i have that and yeah i mean they he that's absolutely right they did uh steve steven they did uh they did censor that or cut that all up because of the columbine shooting right but i mean the second verse has got he's talking about doing cocaine with a girl then uh he's singing about his sister having mental issues and eating paint chips and then he's shooting heroin while she's moaning because she's going crazy. And he hears his neighbor beating his wife. Jeez, it's not really a song that I don't know why they would, he would write a song with those kind of lyrics in it. They're horrible. It almost, it actually kind of makes me mad. It almost, it almost destroys the album for me. And the album isn't exactly, you know, cotton candy or unicorn farts to begin with. So <laughs> it's, a, it's a tough song to listen to. It's kind of even tougher to take seriously. So the version I'm listening to says in parentheses 2008 version. So are you saying the is that the only version now available um, through streaming services? The is the non-vocal version of that song. I, through streaming, I think you can get you can get the full vocal with the verses and the chorus, or you can get the instrumental. I I couldn't seem to find the version that's on the CD, the original huh. release um, that that just has the, like I said just the chorus. Gotcha. No, I couldn't find I couldn't find that either. The only one I the only the one I own has all the lyrics in it. Um, and then uh, the other one is that 2008 version that Jay's talking about. So wait, the one Whitney, the one on your CD has all of the lyrics. Yeah, oh, yeah, that's interesting. There's could, so many could, versions of it. And I it's have MP3s that I downloaded years ago, and it has the full version. So it okay. must be an MP3 version of that 2008 re-release that has the full lyrics. That's odd. Yeah, I know it, it. I know it. Uh, it probably piques people's curiosity, but honestly, I just like it. Totally is a turnoff. Well, the. I mean, I guess that's not out of character with the record because there are some other spots on the record where he, he drops some lyrics that are, uh, let's just say, uh, odd. <laughs> yeah. Uh, one being spaceman fucked an ape. Yeah, that's a good uh, one. Huh? You're like, okay, you got. <laughs> Uh, you're kind of getting into the song. You're like, oh, this is kind of an interesting, like, soul coughing kind of feel. And he drops that line. You're like, what is going on? Where are we going here? Yeah, so musically, I think that song, Darwin, is, like, the most interesting one of them all. But those lyrics are just like, what? What is what is he, what is he talking about? He's obviously talking about the theory of evolution and, like, maybe how aliens intervened or something. But, I mean, it's it's a cool song in the lyrics. I don't know what is it with lyrics with me lately, but to your point, it's weird. It's not very poetic. <laughs> really? There's probably a, a more uh, interesting way to say what he's trying to say. Chromosome divides, multiply and thrive, and the strong survive, and the strong survive, and the spaceman fucked an ape. 
Yeah, he has a bluntness with his lyrics that can sometimes be off-putting, and I think that it's combined with the delivery. I think that's where Tara was mentioning the affectation. There can be this like delivery style that on certain songs works totally well. It's rhythmic. It fits with like the rhythmic sensibility of the songwriting, and then sometimes it's like completely opposite of whatever the feel is, and it throws everything off. So I guess if we're going to get into stuff that didn't work, that's what didn't work for me is that sometimes I was totally locked into what was he was doing as a lyricist and a vocalist. And then other times it was just like a, it was so off putting that I couldn't get my brain around what he was trying to do. Anybody else have that problem? <laughs> yeah. I mean, even a song like Wounded, you know, when he opens with the line, the guy that puts his hands on you has nothing to do with me. I'm like, oh, where's this going? Like, (laughs) I get pulled into, is this autobiographical? And in the 90s, like, you know, things were different. And uh, there's just lines like that, the the Spaceman line that are dropped that are, I guess, pull you out of the song. That that was my take on it. Yeah, I'm I'm the same way. I mean, I don't want to just like... I, I usually am not really too easily offended and I wasn't in this case either. It's just that sometimes you want, I mean the song, like some of the lyrics, especially on slow motion, you know, it's just cynical, it's depressing mess. I, I don't know if he just wrote it for like habitually desperate people who would just buy it, put it on repeat and just kind of wallow around in it or what. But it it's not, a, it's not like there's nothing attractive about the lyrics there at all. Um, Darwin's just funny. Um, and uh, a couple songs like I think for me deep inside of you is kind of generic um, and camouflage as well but outside of those three or four tunes I think um, think this is pretty good I gotta piggyback off what you what you brought up there Jay the the lyrics uh, for wounded really really rubbed me the wrong way I mean the entire song is it's about a victim of some sort of physical sexual assault and you know the entire song's message is just like hey your wounds will heal like we didn't do that to you like come back to the bar and you know you're a summertime hottie and let's let's have a drink and sing some songs and it's it's so insensitive to something that is so traumatic for people to have to deal with and i know we're talking about a different time right like this is 99 you know like we just work off the heels of the me too movement right now like that stuff is a lot more kind of upfront and centered and finally being talked about um and i don't want to undercut the guy's intent you know like i'm sure there was probably good intention there if he's singing this about I, I i did read a little bit about tried to find out a little bit more about what the song was about um and so you know, I don't think it's autobiographical as much as it is, you know, just about somebody that he knows who went through something like this. But yeah, that song lyrically, like, you know, I don't know. That one just really rubbed me the wrong way. Yeah, I was struggling with that. Um, 
it just uh it wasn't clear enough for me what he was saying one way or the other and i just it made it difficult to focus on the song being that it was so ambiguous ambiguous um uh, whether he's you know talking about a character or talking about you know other people or a, it was autobiographical i was like wrapped up in that just because it was just a, such a weird note to start on and then where it goes later in the song it's just troubling so looking back at 1999 you know i was trying to put into perspective when this came out and it's a weird year for i mean there's a lot of huge artists and stuff that come out but this is the year that like basically pop is fully back i mean you have britney spears and backstreet boys and that kind of stuff so i understand why they kind of pushed never let you go into like a more pop direction but i was also comparing it to like the first record trying to figure out well was this really as strong single wise as the first record and maybe that's part of the reason why it, it didn't sell as well. I mean, like I said, it dropped like dropped off by about 60% from the first to the second record. So do you guys think that this is a strong overall record or is it lacking singles or like what, what are your thoughts on this as far as it not being a successful slumping, if you will, compared to the, to the first record, Whitney, I'll start with you. Okay, so the only thing I really think that's slumpy about it is the sales compared to the first one. I was thinking about what you guys normally do, and you normally say, well, it's a good album or it's an EP or whatever. And I like what Jay was saying earlier about it being um, an album, an actual album that has some really cool attempts at different things, right? So like um, an ode to maybe. I have no idea what the song is about, but I really like the verse. Um, Not so much the chorus, but... There's really cool like reserved guitar solo in there, and I like that like kind of the la da's along with it that are that that the Jenkins is singing with the first few bars of the solo, and there's some great stuff on Darwin like I mentioned. Red Summer Sun is just blatantly like '60s classic rock to me. Um, I don't know it. it uh, you know they they sang uh, they, their songs are kind of like tonic or vertical horizon or better than Ezra but they just have more of an edge to them than those bands do I think I went around uh, I made a roundabout answer to your question there but um, <laughs> I, I I think some of the some of the tunes are extremely strong and I don't think there's really as great a singles but I think it's almost an equivalent to the first one as far as overall just being a really strong record because this is also the same year uh and I'm mentioning this because they briefly shared a drummer as like Smash Mouth, who had a bunch of huge singles this year. Yeah. So it's yeah, like it was a rough year, man. I mean, this is like Collective Souls on what their second or third record. Oh, they're on like their third or fourth. You got some, you know, Red Hot Chili Peppers Creed is big that year. Like it's a rough year. Everlast. <laughs> Yeah, that we were not heading into the into Y two K on a strong musical note in some res- in some respects. Limp Biscuit. This is the year of Limp Biscuit. Metallica's doing a Bob Seger cover. <laughs> is this when is this like when the new metal thing all kind of kicked in about this? Time? Oh, this is when it was like totally in charge. Yeah. I mean, this is the year yeah. of of Significant Other by Limp Biscuit, which produces, you know, uh, Nookie 
and break stuff. <laughs> and I mean, so you've got that. Um, and then you've got, you know, even like smaller, not small, I shouldn't say smaller, but a lot of the, I say this, the, the, the bands that were consistently put out records, like Alice in Chains was done at this point. Soundgarden was done. Pearl Jam had retreated at this point. You weren't getting any of those, like what would have been established acts anymore. So this is, you know, it's, it was up to third eye blind and it was up to, you know, Ben folds and those bands that had some mid decade success to like, write The, rock records that were kind of the what had expectations on them you know third eye blind had five singles well of course they're going to have another big hit record you know so even nine inch nails had you know they this is the year of the fragile so they they went in a different direction much more artistic and much more um you know less single oriented than the downward spiral and it's just it's an odd year because so many bands with sort of that were huge retreated and then other bands had to step up and in terms of rock bands and it's just not my, not there. my memory was that it took a while for this to come out right right i mean what are we talking like three years between records no it was actually only two really yeah okay i just remember when never let you go was all over the place it just felt like it had been a while that's one of the songs that's so simple but like there's a feel to it that they nail. It, it just kind of makes it annoying <laughs> as a musician. When you listen to it, you're like, Oh my God, that's like the simplest riff ever. But they put that guitar part over top of it. And then the melody works. It's just an annoyingly good pop song. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It really is. You try to deny it, but you can't deny it. So I, I think part of this is probably radio had rac- radically changed in terms of what was being played on rock radio was corn and limp biscuit and creed and Marilyn Manson. And you weren't getting as much of like, I mean, they went in the direction of making a pop song, almost going in the direction of the backstreet boys and Britney Spears and moving way far away from the heavier end of things. Boy, this is the year we have that terrible, uh, Sugar Ray song. Which <laughs> terrible Sugar Ray the, song? <laughs> There's a lot of them. The is this, is this the year 1459 came out? What's that? That's the that, that was that, the follow up to their to the to the album that the album that had Fly was called Floored, right? Because it was like the last song on the record, and then the album after that, which had Every Morning, was 1459. Yeah, Every Morning is what I'm talking about. Yeah. Yeah, fourteen fifty nine. That's the one with uh that was the beginning of it says here January twelfth of ninety nine. That had yeah, every morning on it. Yeah. Yeah. Someday. Yep. Someday. In our albums of nineteen ninety nine roundtable, we did not talk about how rough it was for pop rock. This is pretty much a wasteland. <laughs> <laughs> God. Foo Fighters learn to fly like that's my the era of Foo Fighters I like the least. Yeah, all oh, that that hurts a little, but I know. Sorry, I don't like Learn to Fly though. Don't like that song. Either. Yeah, that song is maybe just that song for me. Yeah, I'm the same way. I don't like that song. I like a lot of stuff that's on that record. There's nothing left to lose, but I don't like that particular song. That to me was like 
the equivalent of when I first heard Never Let You Go. Like, I was like, are you making a pop, like a pure pop song? Like, okay, that's an odd choice. Um, but I like Stacked Actors, and I think Breakout is on that yeah, it is. album. So I like I did like those songs. And then it's also the year, like, Stone Temple Pilots writing a, you know, new metal song in, in Down. So this record, I mean, for me, it's got at least the first half feels um, close enough to the first record. I think a song with Thousand Julys, to me, that sounds like Summer Charm Life vocally. It's just got a really chunky, very ACDC-ish guitar riff and tone. You know, it's way more straightforward hard rock than Summer Charm Life, which has more of a, I don't know, kind of a groovy kind of rhythm to it and drum part. Uh, but if you listen vocally, those two songs are very similar in terms of how the melody and what he's doing. Um, so it, it's very, I don't know, those two are on par. It's just that song's not going to be a big of a hit because Thousand Julys isn't going to be as big of a hit because it's just a little heavier. And, you know, Never Let You Go is good. There's a couple, I don't love the mid-tempo-y kind of ballady th- stuff on the record, but they're they're pretty good songs. Uh, it's not my kind of thing, but I, you know, I, I think they can work. It's just this weird choice. Um, I guess weird, but in a good way for me to really get experimental, you know, red summer, the red summer sun, you touched on it, Tim, a little bit, that bit halfway this song where, I mean, it kind of turns into like a Brian Johnson era ACDC song. Like he's screaming in like a Bon Scott or Brian Johnson kind of voice. You're like, and it starts off in this very almost kind of um, Smashing Pumpkins kind of groove, and then it launches into this other It makes thing. no sense. It You're makes like, no what sense. What the f- are these guys doing? Yeah. And that's just a bizarre song. I, in some ways, I'm like, I, I admire it. I like the their, the idea they're trying to do there. I don't know if they pull it off, but it's just a weird song to be on a, you know, a, a pretty much a, a pop record. been a long time which was extremely like immediately i was like wait is he trying to do zeppelin now what what's he doing you know yep. been a long time since i rock and roll yeah and i thought um speaking of zeppelin what was the tune uh there was a song on here i definitely felt like oh 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 an ode to maybe to me that riff is very zeppelinish um in, in the verse yeah, I really like the guitar solo in that song. Just so kind of laid back and tuneful. I really like that. Let's talk about our overall ratings on this sophomore slump. Do we think it's a worthy record that people should check out? Is it really more of an EP? Or is there just one decent single that you can't let go? 
<laughs> Steven, I'll start with you. Um, I hear an EP. I hear an EP for sure. I, you know, like you said, Jay, I, I kind of want to give him some credit for being experimental and trying. But the back half of this record, I think it just falls flat. Um, you know, that that whole bit we were just talking about in the Red Summer Sun ruins that song for me. The the echoey vocals I and in Camouflage, the next track, I, I can't I can't get past it. It's too much. Uh, slow motion. I mean, with with all the you know. Which version are you listening to? Does it have lyrics? Does it not? Does it have some? Um, yeah, the the latter half of the record falls pretty flat. But I do think that you know the first seven tracks. I mean, aside from my lyrical issues with Wounded, I mean it still is a, a really fun pop song if you disregard <clears throat> the the lyrical content. But yeah, I, I hear a I hear a really solid EP um, tracks one through seven, and I and I think anybody who was a fan of of the initial debut album would probably you know if they didn't get to this for some reason would would love that but yeah it gets a little weird after that i'm not gonna lie whitney were were the album better ep or decent single man i want to say we're the album but i can't because i can only really count seven tunes that i really really like on here um so i'm gonna have to say it it's an ep i just i i like what they do with his voice Although I don't, like you guys said, I don't think he's like an exceptionally great singer um, that can carry a tune. But um, I, the guitar stuff is great. There's some cool uh, drum work, drum, you know, drumming in here. Um, and I kind of like. It's like Jay said. I mean, he he said that it it it, it gets experimental, and they tr- they're not afraid to do different things. I always like that kind of thing. Um, that said, songs like Camouflage and. Um, darkness or just kind of bland and to me darkness seems like the album's jumper and uh, camouflage sounds like a stone table pilots toss off to me I don't know but uh, slow motion definitely not a fan of that song but outside of that I mean I definitely would just put this on the first song and let it play through and not have too much trouble listening to the whole thing but I'll just admit, I'll just say it's an EP okay two EPs Jay where are you gonna land I'm about in terms of the songs I like, I'm about at seven two. Um, Interesting. I am gonna say a worthy album though. Um, hmm. I think it's. Um, I wish slow motion wasn't on it. I think that's a throwout track that saves you six minutes, and that gets the record down to about you know just under fifty minutes, which I think is a good place for it to be. <laughs> um, I was wondering when the time thing was gonna happen. <laughs> It is too long. Yeah. And then there's also like the issues of like extra bonus time and Yeah, which... Darwin has an extra what two minutes on the end of it, or at least the version I Well, was there's two to. there's multiple versions again of that. Some of them have twenty minutes. I is... do like camouflage. I think it's a good like ex- that to me is them being experimental and it working because there's still a, a a melodic sense to it. Um, and it doesn't go too off the rails. The only thing I would change about that song is pull out the strings, and I would have done that as all those parts is just a rock band. Even re- the Red Summer Sun, that 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 hard rock bit in the middle, like I, it's weird, but it, I don't hate it. It's just um, maybe if I listened to it more, I would sort of get it. So I, I'm on a worthy album. Um, surprisingly, I, I kind of went in this with very little expectations. Um, I d- don't like I said I have like a love hate thing with never let you go I respect the 
you know, how simple it is and how well they pulled it off. But I'm also annoyed by how simple it is. <laughs> so I kind of went in with that being my, you know, the, the basis for how I was going to perceive the record. And I was pleasantly surprised at how adventurous it was um, and still maintaining a, a melodic sense, which is, you know, in a lot of ways, usually what I'm looking for in, you know, a rock, a rock album. We didn't really touch on it. I guess uh, one thing that I, I, the reason why I'm downgrading this from an album to an EP is that there are times where it sounds like he's real close to rapping. And <laughs> yeah, I yeah. found out when I was doing my research, he was actually in a rap duo before being in a band. Rut row. <laughs> really? What? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, geez. I take it back. This is a single. <laughs> Well, here's the thing. Stephen Jenkins is actually pretty old. I'm not digging on him because he's old, but like he was in a band in high school that had a video made for like a college class. Like the three guys were in college. He was in high school. They got a video made and it was on MTV in 1983. Wow. What? Yeah. So how old was he at the time? That would make him. Well, he's 54 now. Right, but 84. I guess he would have been in his mid thirties, maybe. No, early thirties. Yeah, he was in his he was in his thirties okay. when he, when this happened. Yeah, he was in his yeah. he had a song that um he was, when he was in high school, the band was called Fast Forward. They shot a video. I think that was the one show on MTV. Oh, it's called Basement Tapes. Hmm. And they got a they got on the it was broadcast there, and so. Like he's been in music, and and Third Eye Blind got signed before they had any music recorded. Like they got signed just based on his demos, and you know, I guess it was a huge deal that they signed with Elektra. Mm, that's which annoying pa- too. Paid off because <laughs> you should have started with this in the history of the band, Tim. Sorry, I didn't. I didn't cover any of the history of the band because I, you know, they're well known band, I guess. So anyway, I'm at an EP as well. I'm at about six songs. I do like some of the experimentation, even when the songs don't necessarily work all the way for me. And I, th- I think this is a, you can listen to this all the way through and, and enjoy it. But there are, when you start breaking the songs down, they sort of fall apart from a, did this really have a big enough hook for me? Like a thousand July's is example. Like I like that song. I think it's musically stands up, but then you mentioned it like in comparison to the first record, it just doesn't have quite as good a hook, yeah. quite as memorable a hook as say the singles on the first record. So that's where it kind of fell a little flat for me. Maybe it was because of the rushed time between them finishing, you know, touring and actually getting into the studio to, to write and record again right after this album came out because they would, I think the next record doesn't come out until like four years later. So it's twice the amount of time from the first to the second to the second to the third. So, cause out of the vein came out in 2003. I think that was the one that was delayed when you mentioned about there being a delay, I so guess. I have a question, I yeah. have a question for you, if I could, yeah. you guys. So when you're talking about the, the absence of hooks, do you think a band like this says, I'm not going to write such blatant hooks because I don't want to be known as a, um, a pop, a single pop band with singles. Or do you think they, because, I mean, the, there's an expectation set up here that because the first record was really hooky and poppy, the second record has to be the same way. So is it like, 
an expectation that they should have made a hookier album or should they just have you know i mean there's that kind of bands aren't uh, they're sellouts if they have an album with too many hooks and they're not trying if they don't write them you know what i mean well that's for me the the record still works without without the heavy hook there are some on here that, because there's just a strong sense of melody so i can take that like if you you know maintain a good sense of melody and are creative there and then explore some other places i don't know just personally i'm on board with that now whether they intended to do that like as a reaction to the the first album i don't know it feels to me like um it, it suffers a little bit in sophomore slump uh territory in that um, probably the stronger material on here, I would I would guess, probably had been around, maybe. A little bit more concise and formed. And you can hear some other things on here that are more experimental. Like, I mean, slow motion is a good example. I mean, that's just like a fracture of a song that they just loop and add things on top of. So to me, this sounds like there's some songs there that had been maybe been worked on and were in vain of what they were doing. And then there was some time in the studio where they were just messing around. You know, and sometimes that works too. Yeah, sure, sure. I think you have a you have a lifetime to make the first record, and so you get to really perfect what you think the chorus should be, and 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 the phrasing and the cadence, so that it's really really good. And then you have a couple months to make the second record, and them having never let you go is a example of they can write a hook, or Stephen Jenkins can write a hook. But and and ten days late, I think has a really good strong radio hook. Like I remember that line. But anything else on this record, I don't feel like the the there's a line in the chorus that sticks in my head or a vocal line. Like I don't even like semi charmed life. I don't know what the lyrics are to most of that song, but I remember the do 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 do. Like <laughs> yeah. it's stupid. It's not anything that's like complex but they just melded it well with the music and they used it perfectly for that piece of music all those singles from the first record have a lyrical line or a hook that like you remember i know all the hooks i know all the lines from the choruses to those songs i it doesn't feel like i know them as well is is it a conscious choice they were like fuck it we're not doing any singles probably not I think it was probably they didn't have enough time to work the material and sure. there was probably a little bit more of this is a good chorus. Let's go with it rather than this is a great chorus. Yeah, that makes sense. And I don't know how much yeah. feedback they were getting from the label. Also, you know, there's stories of like labels saying we don't hear a single or, you know, kicking back demos to people. They might have had so much leeway having been, you know, five singles deep onto the first record where the label might have been like, just give us another record as fast as you can because we got to ca- capitalize on it. Based on what I read, that sounds like it was the case. I don't think they were interfering too much musically as much as they were like, hey, this is a deadline and you got to get it out by then. I read something with Jenkins that said that they pretty much had six months to do it. And um, a lot of it, he said, was recorded with you know band members taking individual sessions. They weren't really... They weren't really fleshing a lot of this stuff out as a band. Um, I think especially it sounded like there was a lot of friction between the guitarists and Jenkins. And any of us who spent time 
in any kind of recording situation like that where you're you're kind of making up songs and more in the studio uh, or as demos that develop when it comes to hooks and choruses I think what tends to happen is you know somebody whoever's doing that part you know goes and, and puts their part down and you're a little bit more committed to it. Whereas like if you're working it out as a band and you're playing it every night and you're rehearsing it constantly, uh, there's probably a more of an organic, uh, and feedback loop going on where, you know, somebody saying, Hey, it's probably could be better. Or how about if you tried this or just by doing it so many times, you keep changing it and tweaking it and getting it to the point where it's, you know, crafted. Whereas I think in the studio, there's a tendency to separate and break things apart and then, you just kind of commit. It's like, well, I've spent, you know, a week on this vocal. How much longer are we going to go? You know, I think this is kind of what it is. So we're either going to put it out this way or we're not going to do it because we got to have the record out in six months. So, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So we come to the end and we have to ask, is it a sophomore slump or is it worth people revisiting? That's the question we have to answer. Let's go around. Should people revisit for this record? Whitney? Uh, so right at the beginning, I said that the first record was amazing. And then I said this album was its equal. And now I'm saying it was an EP. So I guess it would be a slump. <laughs> so it would be a slump then. I keep contradicting myself. Um, is, it a, is it a sophomore slump? Well, I guess if I say it's an EP uh, now and the other one was not, but it's really worth listening to. It's got a lot of really good stuff in it. Um, it's it's one of those it's one of those albums you just put it on and 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 listen enjoy listening to it. Steven, what do you say? Oh man, I I, I feel I feel can I can I say both? Like yeah, I think yes. it's worth revisiting. There's no it's rules here. Worth, it's definitely worth revisiting, but it it is a slump. Like I think I I think I understand why it didn't perform as well commercially speaking uh i think it's reflective uh in the songs particularly the back half like i said but at the same time you know it is interesting to hear him experiment it's interesting to hear him pull in other influences and and really kind of try to go for something so definitely worth a visit jay where do you land well it's certainly a slump from a commercial standpoint you know uh, so um if you think if you evaluate it that way there's no doubt about it um i think what this band is now um they they live in a very difficult place you know they didn't quite they weren't able to make the foo fighters kind of step where they maintain some sense of credibility but they can still you know they have enough pop appeal every every record where they can maintain the commercial success. I think that's where this band needs needed to be, and they never quite were able to get to that point. I mean, obviously, really no other band has. They're they're unique in that, but that's I think what this band is closest to. So if you're into the Foo Fighters, to me, this is very much a record that you should check out. In that you know a lot of their album stuff can be you know a little bit more experimental and not what you would typically you know hear from their radio singles i think this band and this record is similar to that so i think it's a worthy album like i said and in worth you know and it doesn't have some pop appeal it went platinum for god's sake i mean that's not terrible it's not like it didn't sell right uh, at all so i guess from a commercial standpoint yes it's a sophomore slump but i think creatively 
it's a good album and uh, i'm not as familiar with the first one but i think it's if you like the first one it's, it's worth uh getting getting and checking out i concur it's a slump but only in the sense that it's suffering from the the i guess the need of the record label to push it out probably sooner than it needed it needed a little more time maybe in the in the vocal department to just tighten up some of the lyrical choices and then also in terms of the sales which may or may not have been even in their control based on what we were looking at in terms of the year yeah i mean mean, in 99 by that point too boy is it even possible going forward from that point for any rock band to have five hit songs like is that even feasible from 1999 forward did anybody do that i'm thinking maybe like a lincoln park but i don't know if they went five deep i mean that's a lot you know I don't yeah. I don't know of a of a, a rock band per se that did five singles past ninety nine. I think two or three was probably the max that like, you know, the strokes or Arcade Fire or White Stripes, those kinds of bands were pulling off. Those, yeah. Those are like two and three single bands. Right, right. Max. You mentioned you mentioned Foo Fighters. Can anything post Ah, uh, there's nothing left to lose. That would be. I'm trying to think of the records. I don't think. No, they're always good for like two singles off of every record. They're like Duran yeah. Duran. <laughs> there's like two great songs <laughs> off of every record. Yeah. I don't know. I just they're so all over the radio that I uh, I thought there might be. Right. Well, because their songs never come off the radio, so I'm like sure there's that. always two more, and then they they get played along Everlong and breakout and times like these and they're just another one and another one and another one and mm-hmm. all of a sudden you have a block of foo fighters out, uh, songs for yeah. you know. it seems like they're they're in a rhythm now where it's they get at least one song out of the album that can get radio play and then when you like you're saying you add it up over time you know you've got a, this huge catalog um, consistent releases with at least one radio hit off of every one of them so this might be like one of the last like really huge selling rock records yeah, I mean, if you take out like yeah. Creed, I mean, I, you know, when you get into like metal, then and new metal, th- there were still some huge records to come, with uh, another Creed record, um, and I think Corn still sold well into the two thousands, like early two thousands. Lincoln Park, um, Green Day has a big album coming up still in American Idiot in like two thousand four, that sold a ton, and that might be honestly that might be the last of the nineties bands that sold a significant amount. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Well, I, uh, I hope people were listening on the live feed. It's our first time doing it. So if you did, uh, let us know and let us know what you thought of listening to an episode with no music in it. Cause, uh, you didn't hear any. Now, when you hear the <laughs> actual version of this episode, after I chop it up and cut out all of our, uh, awkward pauses and ums and uhs it's going to sound real pretty but there's also going to be music in there so yeah so they won't real so they won't realize it's scripted then right exactly okay. <laughs> i can uh, i can mix in tracks in real time we have the technology now you dj i could i could spin some tracks cool whitney steven thank you so much for joining us thanks for having me we're yeah, going to do we're going to do this again we're going to every once in a while Rather than having our our uh, journalist friends and our various uh, roundtable regulars, we're going to invite the patrons on. 
when we we think it might be fun to uh, do an all patron roundtable. So pretenders. <laughs> we like to. Oh think... wait, wait. We got a. We got a. Um. What? Dewey Cole chi- finally chimed in. Worthy album from him. He says we're nuts. <laughs> <laughs> Dewey, I said it was a worthy album too. I hemmed and hauled a little bit. You're the only one that got, got it right. There. You're the only one that got it right. I don't want to. I don't want to get on his bad side. <laughs> <laughs> so, folks, you can go to our website, digmeoutpodcast.com, and you can go to our guest page, and you can look at the guest page for Stephen and Whitney, and check out uh, their bios and what episodes they've been on previously, as well as links to the stuff that they are up to if they have stuff that they're up to. And if you like what you heard, you can leave us some positive feedback over at iTunes. And of course, Patreon is where you go. Patreon forward slash dig me out. It's where you go to join us, become part of our union. You get to vote in our polls. You get to pick our roundtables. You might just get some cool swag, depending on what level you join. And uh, welcome, Marissa, as we mentioned at the beginning of the show, to our steering committee so for jay i'm tim and we're out we'll be back next week with another episode of dig me out thanks for listening to support the podcast visit www.patreon.com forward slash dig me out and become a monthly subscriber at www.digmeoutpodcast.com where you can find links to our facebook twitter and instagram pages as well as our merchandise store at Zazzle.com. She said,